New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. the total soccer show weekend review hopes of a title are slowly dying for our bavarian friends who follow by and de rotten have lost three in a row how many more before Tuchel has to go? In the Premier League, City and Chelsea drew. Rasmus Hoyland scored a few. The Reds of Liverpool left Brentford feeling blue. And Wolves pulled off a Tottenham coup. And in Spain, the title race tightened up again. And Lewandowski got a 97th minute moment of zen. And if you're an Italian soccer fan, it became more clear the Scudetto is heading to Inter Milan. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to chat about the weekend, your friend of mine, Taylor Rockingwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello, Ryan Bailey. It's good to be here. Very good to be here. I'm just debating whether my last couplet rhymed or not. Uh, I think it rhymed. Sure. Why not? I think the thing that my takeaway from your introduction where I was distracted was, did we get like a lot of answers this weekend to how things are going to play out? Because I feel like you're right. Serie A feels like Inter have a pretty sizable gap and might be able to uh, see things out. Bayern with the way things went for them. Maybe this is Leverkusen's year, even if some of us thought it wouldn't be, myself very much included. Uh, I don't know if we have much clarity in the Premier League. Maybe that's the one that still seems pretty hazy. But yeah, a a strange weekend, an exciting weekend, and I'm excited to be here talking with you chaps about it. Maybe what we learned, Taylor, is that this game never actually ends. It just goes on and on, and the narratives repeat themselves in cycles. Such is life. Yeah, but I thought we all agreed to just not discuss that because it leads (laughs) us down a black hole of sadness in soccer. It does indeed. Speaking of black holes of sadness, Graham Rutherford, how are you? <laughs> Hello, it's me. Hi, Ryan Bailey. How are you? Did you have a good weekend? Visit any nice ponds or aquariums or do anything nice like that? Nothing aquatic this weekend, Graham, but hope uh, hope prevails that that will ca- carry on uh, in future weekends. Georgia I was just trying Aquarium, to lift you I'm out of the, the, the black hole of soccer or whatever you yeah. called it. I was just, try- just trying to do you a favour. Thank you. Thank you very much, Graham. Both both you and Joe today. Hello, Joe Lowry. Are, uh, you're, wearing, you're wearing black. Uh, Taylor and I are both wearing a sort of peachy salmon, salmon? color. What yeah, does it mean? So. What do our fashion choices mean? There has to be a sign behind this Factions. somehow. Factions. Are we, Graham, are we mourning Bayern Munich's title hopes? It feels like that's what we're doing. I mean, it wasn't deliberate, to be honest. This was, ju- I wore this t-shirt just because it's cleat. Uh, no, actually, no, it's not clean uh, at all. I just wore uh, it because it was nearby. It was, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's the only reason. Were you not wearing anything before that? Graham just watching soccer in the nude? <laughs> yeah, on the floor, like Joe. <laughs> wow. I always thought you Donald Ducked it, Graham. I, th- I bottoms on, tops off. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I thought your is, approach is was. Is there any other way? I'm right, not aware yeah. of one. What um, is well, happening? <laughs> we have bonus content, guys. Some of what you just heard may or may not be included on that bonus content. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you'd like to support us in that manner. Uh, we do have videos of Graham being worried about relegation from Scottish League One. And I learned that Graham's team's opponents uh, this past weekend play Sweet Child of Mine when they score. Oh, man. Yeah. See the music at Annan Athletic this weekend. I, I don't think they... 
I don't think they're privy to modern pop music in Annan in the borders. It was unbelievable. Are you mm. are you taking shots at Sweet Child of Mine? No, I just yes, thought I, it was. I, am. I thought it, it sounded was, like Graham yeah. was absolutely. I, Graham was, and I don't appreciate that because that song is perfect. It they is beat a good song. us, right? They beat us, and sorry to jump in, Ryan, to give you a taste of the the, the music choices at Annan Athletic. They beat us, right? Which is quite a damaging defeat for us. Looks like we might be facing a relegation scrap now. And at full time, they played the Looney Tunes That's All Folks music, just to rub it in. <laughs> That's good. I appreciate that. <laughs> I Graham, did not you appreciate were, it. Graham, if you were looking for sympathy, that was the wrong thing to say, because that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That just feels like you were angry and then they trolled you pretty effectively. Yeah. That's what I Yeah, they did. Very that's, that's well done. That's well done. I, I just enjoy, Graham, the incongruity, if that's the correct word, of sort of the Los oh. Angeles uh, rockers from the 80s with uh, Scottish soccer on an artificial field in the rain. Yeah, there, there was a lot of uh, cultural whiplash going on there. <laughs> Indeed. So check that video out. Uh, Graham's uh, dispatches are always excellent. Uh, I put a video up uh, just this morning about a merger between Manchester City and Wimbledon, which is a thing that nearly happened years before podcasts were a thing incredible i've just watched that video ryan and mm-hmm. i know that you don't show your bottom half so you you are donald ducking i presume no that, isn't that, that, that winnie the pooing is that which one is which i i keep forgetting <laughs> i'd rather be ducking than pooing i'd say joe frankly oh, well. yeah 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 if, if the shirt's on you're pooing if the shirt's off you're ducking all right, let's uh, let's move on from this conversation. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you'd like to support us. Uh, why don't we turn our attention to Germany and possibly the biggest storyline of the weekend. Bochum 3, Bayern Munich 2, a third defeat in nine days for Bayern. The first time since May 2015 they've lost three in a row. Uh, the manager in charge then was, of course, that bald fraud Pep Guardiola. Uh, another game, another die open Meccano uh, red card in this one as well. His second in in a row. Harry Kane got a goal in this one, but he missed uh, an open header later on. He had a 1v1 in the first half as well. Graham, we now find Bayern Munich eight points behind Leverkusen. And I've got a lovely stat, uh, which I found on Reddit, which maybe Taylor and Joe will appreciate. Since 1994, only Jurgen Klinsmann has fewer points per game as Bayern manager than Tommy Tuchs. I think Taylor enjoyed that most Taylor of, likes. of all of that. Taylor yeah, likes. A grin across his, his face right now. Um, those are not particularly enjoyable statistics or facts for Bayern Munich at the moment. This is very quickly gone it from... It could be worse. <laughs> There's could always be worse. that. Yeah. Well, Klinsman is available. Interim manager hey. till the end of the season. Um, this has very quickly gone from mini-crisis to full-blown crisis, right? And In the space of a week, even after the Leverkusen defeat last week, which was bad and Leverkusen completely dominated them in that game. But I still thought Bayern would steady themselves. They'll, they'll string a run of wins together. And last week, I couldn't really call it. Even though Bayern Leverkusen had that five-point lead, I just thought it'll be it'll go down to the wire and Bayern Munich will pull themselves back up a little bit. N- now I have no idea how this season's, season ends for Bayern Munich because it feels like they are imploding. It's got to the point where it really wouldn't surprise me if Tuchel doesn't make it to the end of the season. Julian Nagelsmann, I wonder what he thinks about this right now because he was sacked for a lot less than this last season, just as for him and his electric skateboard. There's a lot of reporting around right now that essentially Bayern Munich Munich have decided Tuchel's not the guy for them in the medium to long term, that he won't survive the summer. But Raphael Honigstein for The Athletic reporting that they've made contact contact with Hansi Flick, who, of course, has, has previously come in as an interim manager. 
There's been a couple other names that have been mentioned in relation to the job. So it's getting, it is getting to the point where it feels like Bayern Munich are going to have to do something drastic to rescue this season, which is very quickly getting away from them. Joe, a little pricey. What is going on here at Bayern? Why are they so bad? <laughs> yeah, so we've talked about this. It feels like in every show recently, all of, all of maybe our non-MLS shows, they're having a lot of on-field problems. I don't think the attack has been... A very adaptable to different types of opposition. Thomas, uh, excuse me, Tuchel goes to the the three four three shape against Leverkusen. They don't have a lot of depth. They don't have have a lot of dimension to their attack. It's a lot of stagnant play. They don't respond to how Leverkusen were trying to defend them in their narrow five four one or five two three sort of block. And Bayern looked stagnant in that game, and they looked uh, really lacking awareness inside their own box and moments as well defensively. And then we see other problems in the Champions League, some of them really popping up again in terms of a lack of real pace to their attacking play, slow rotations. You know, they were a bit better in some ways in that in that midweek game, but still rough performances for Bayern in, in a couple of the last two games and also earlier on in the season. The funny thing about all this, though, guys, is it seems like a lot of this conversation is coming to a head surrounding this loss to Bochum, which makes perfect sense. The performance between the boxes and, and even at times in the attacking box wasn't bad for Bayern in this game. Like, they were the better team in open play by a huge margin in this game. They created way more chances. They were goal dangerous early and often. But, you know, when you have so many mistakes leading up to crucial games that you've now made even more crucial because of your poor performances in recent matches, the margin for error is is tiny. Or, or, it's, or it's like zero. And so because Bayern, yeah, they were still the better team in this game, but you're always going to make some mistakes, and those mistakes were punished at times in this match. You don't give up three goals without making some mistakes. But in general, even though Bayern were the better team, and Tuchel said as much after the game, he said, you know, if we play this game a bunch more times, I feel pretty good about the probability of us winning a lot of them. And he's right. But the challenge is, if you're a really good team coming into a game where you have an off night, that's, that's mostly fine, and you can dig yourself out of that hole. Bayern, with their poor performances, with some of the attacking issues that they've had tactically, and in players' individual performances as well, they don't have that margin anymore. And that is why after this game, even though it was a mostly fine performance where the mistakes probably aren't going to be super repeatable from one game to the next, it doesn't really matter because Bayern have already started digging this hole for themselves. So Joe has given you the like the analytical breakdown, which I think w- was was accurate. I am going to take it one step further to talk about the intangibles and feelings. Uh, but looking at the numbers from this game for a moment, uh, Bayern's uh, XG, I think, 3.42 to Bochum's 1.67. And when you remove the like 0.7 whatever for the penalty yeah. that they scored, it drops below one for Bochum. So prior to that goal, Bochum very much uh, not the dominant team in terms of possession, in terms of XG, but still taking their chances. And and as Joe laid out, Bayern failing to do so despite looking better. And to me, that is where I think if if I'm Thomas Tuchel, I am more nervous than I was previously. And and maybe I've already started thinking about like packing up some boxes, getting moving boxes, all that stuff. Because this did feel to me like a team that just didn't have that edge, didn't have that killer instinct that Bayern so often have. And to me, that usually means there is dissatisfaction in the locker room. And I was feeling that way before I saw reports of Joshua Kimmich blowing up about being substituted, even though I don't think he's been particularly effective for them this season, uh, but yelling at Tuchel's assistants and they're coming close to blows, not actually landing blows, but I, I think some intense feelings aired. We're seeing a lot of little leaks about Tuchel's sort of catty comments about the squad and their and their quality and their overall chemistry and their overall ability and how he hasn't really vibed with them and he hasn't really connected. And I think when you start to hear those leaks coming out, 
I think they can be coming from the locker room. They could certainly be coming from staff. I think they could also be coming from the board or maybe all three. But to me, that speaks to a club that is in more than a little disarray. And I have a feeling that they will definitely be looking to make a change sooner rather than later. Graham, do we think any less of Thomas Tuchel at this point in terms of maybe the way things are going at Bayern, in terms of the way it went at his last club, maybe in terms of his attitude that's been conveyed that Taylor mentioned there? Um, I can't really speak much about his um, his attitude because obviously we're only getting the, the public um, image from Thomas Tuchel. Um, but in terms of how he has managed this team, yeah, I do, I do think less of Thomas Tuchel because if I were to ask you the question, what... What has Thomas Tuchel done in a tactical sense to impose his own ideas on his team, even go back to the start of the season? What is he doing to try and, other than just changing individual players, like um, using Eric Dyer to try and rescue this situation, which is kind of baffling, or Pavlovich. Is that not working? Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, It's inconclusive evidence right now, Taylor, but it's not not looking good for Eric Dyer at this moment in time. See, in Football Manager, you can, when you sign a player, they will often ask you as the manager to sign them a mate. I think that's essentially what's happened with Harry Kane, as that was in the terms of his contract. Go and sign me a mate, and they've done that in the January transfer window. But, um, like, I mean, a mate is in a friend, right? Just to be clear. Yeah, um, great. Not thanks. Not the other, not the other, not okay. the other kind of mate. Cool. <laughs> um, I think Hurricane sorry <laughs> for be, that, but um, it'd be a bigger the, demand, I think. <laughs> yeah, the uh, like Pavlovich coming into <laughs> central midfield, moving on quickly. Um, some of the individual um, personnel choices have been confusing. But Joe, maybe you're better equipped to answer sure. that question. Do you do you see any like Tuchel ball in the way that Bayern Munich are playing right now? It just feels like. He's come into that club. Bayern Munich, keep in mind, we're unhappy with Nagelsmann trying new things and you know new methods and new ideas. And they basically said to him, that's not the way Bayern Munich play or do things. And it feels like Tuchel, maybe it's not on Tuchel, maybe it's on the board who have set these parameters and he feels like he can't change the parameters. But do you see anything? Yeah, I mean, this team is playing very much in a general sense like you would expect Bayern Munich to play, right? They're controlling the ball. They are generally using shapes that we expect, even if that shift to a back three for the Leverkusen game didn't really work out. It's been a lot of 4-2-3-1 that's fluid. We're seeing players in, in positions that you generally expect them to be in. The, the big challenges for me are not the macro stuff. It's the micro stuff for this Bayern Munich team. And it's it's a lot of the stuff that I've already talked about. Some of the, the tactical stagnation, really, especially in the attacking half of the field. Players not looking like they're ready to go and, and rotate and exploit spaces. Maybe... Harry Kane doing the thing that some of us thought Erling Holland would do at Man City, where, yeah, he's going to score a bunch of goals because he is an elite number nine, but he also causes this sort of ripple effect where the things around him destabilize. And I don't think that's on Kane, frankly, because when, when you go out and sign Harry Kane or when you line up next to Harry Kane, you have to know that he's going to drop in and you're going to have to go and tailor your game to make his game work. That is, that's the whole thing for Bayern Munich's attack this year, or at least it's a lot of the whole thing for Bayern Munich's attack. And it doesn't seem to me like in recent weeks, maybe since the new year, players have responded particularly well to that. So Graham, yeah, I, I do see some things that are, are Tuchel-esque and things that I would expect out of a Thomas Tuchel team. But Ryan, to your point, between some of the intangibles that, that Taylor's talking about that seem to be very real, given reporting that we've read, and again, honigstein has been all over this story, and, and like the outbursts that we're seeing and what we already kind of know of Thomas Tuchel before... If you factor those things in with the the tactical issues that we are seeing, again, not ones that really apply to this particular loss to Bochum necessarily, but ones that have been very real this season, and again, especially after the new year, yeah, it, it does start to paint a pretty poor mm. picture of a manager that was brought in to rescue Bayern from being in this situation sort of last year. Which I think, 
remains a curious decision because my understanding, my read on Thomas Tuchel has has long been that he is not a particular the like jolly fellow. I don't know if he is about locker room chemistry and sort of picking up the vibes. He seems to be a manager that is about tactics and do what I ask and here's what we need to do and here's how we win. And I think that goes really well when you're winning. And that seems to have been the hallmark of, of Thomas Tuchel, that when his teams are winning, everything is great because people have bought in and the system is working. So we don't need to all get along. But there were even going going back to like Dortmund, there are stories of him not getting along with players, with front office personnel. Pulisic, I think, when asked about him, sort of had a a, a cold response. Not saying they didn't like each other, but just saying like, yeah, we had some different energies. And then he ends up managing him at Chelsea, which obviously doesn't go well. There's PSG in there as well, where he he kind of falls out with the ownership and the directors. And and I think Thomas Tuchel is very much a manager that if you're not winning. If you're not just getting the results, I think some of the friction can start to rub a little bit too raw. Uh, with the caveat that all of those clubs that we've mentioned, like Dortmund, have plenty of managerial turnover and confusion, as do PSG, as do Chelsea. So I'm not saying it is a holy Thomas Tuchel situation. Even Bayern of late have been sort of a managerial turnstile of sorts. So it seems like maybe the gigs he has taken, but then also his personality doesn't help what could be a chaotic situation uh anything but chaos meanwhile at leverkusen taylor a 2-1 win at heidenheim this weekend their undefeated season continues um are we gonna see them lift the meisterschale in may or we're gonna have a conversation about wow that was fun when they nearly won it this season this is the annoying thing is that like, like if bayern truly are a team that are just sort of worn down by like the like repetitive training and being asked to do the same thing and not be really feeling motivated. It's also a Bayern team that could with the right manager who maybe loosens the reins a little bit and lets them be Bayern go right back to their winning ways. And so if let's say Hansi Flick comes back in and has a point to prove and is still a little bit bitter towards the Bayern board, but can get buy-in from the players. And I don't recall any airing of grievances after he left from the players. I might be entirely wrong on that. I just can't remember like, I could see a scenario in which they go off on a run and are very, very successful for the rest of the season. With all that said, I don't see how Leverkusen let it slip at this point just because they don't have those questions to answer. They've sort of got it all sorted right now. Even if they have injuries, even if they have players who can't go for certain games, it still feels like they'll be able to find a way through. So, so Taylor, what you're saying there, I, I get that about, you know, maybe the players not wanting the fastidious preparation of Thomas mm-hmm. Tuchel and, and all the tactical stuff. Someone who's got looser reins, someone maybe not known for match preparation as much, someone who's familiar with the club. Uh, you're pointing towards a certain man who, you know. I think there's a chance he could get a bounce. I really do. I think Jürgen Klinsmann could give them that managerial bounce. I think then it would just be the chaos it would go the other way way too quickly. So maybe he would. Maybe you just keep hiring and firing those two in equal measure. It's just Tuchel and Klinsman, like they each get two weeks at a time, so that right. the squad finds that harmonious like, balance. Like a sort of good cop, bad cop yeah, situation. Exactly. <laughs> I did a Graham. I did Who's see a good. good <laughs> I saw a good tweet over the weekend of. Do you remember the uh, the fight that Tuchel had on the sidelines with Conte? And uh, a screenshot of that saying it wasn't a fight. It was a bet over who could uh, (laughs) ruin the prime years of Harry Kane the most. (laughs) Yeah, they've both played a role (laughs) 
in that. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Schadenfreude is a powerful thing, right? I put out over the weekend what I thought was a fairly like run of the mill tweet about how funny it is that Bayern Munich are not going to win the title this season when just as Harry Kane has joined them. It has been like ten thousand times on Twitter, so I'm not the only <laughs> one who's who's enjoying that enjoying that Schadenfreude right now. Indeed. If only the Germans had a word for that, Graham. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the Premier League. We're going to go around the continent and much more back shortly. New game day shirt. Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Broker dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let us now turn our attention to the Etihad Stadium where Manchester City had a 1-1 draw with Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea in their blue away shirts against the blue of Man City. I'm. This is a bugbear of mine, but uh, teams still keep doing it. Um, Joe, it seemed like one of the Headlines of this game was Erling Haaland with his nine shots uh, with no goals, seven of which were headers. Uh, fairly bad miss uh, going towards the end of this one as well. Ha- uh, Haaland is terrible at soccer. Is that what we're saying now? Right? I love yeah. I love that this is a completely valid storyline for this game, Ryan, in a, in a very appropriate way to lead this discussion because we're not used to seeing Erling Haaland miss chances. But I love that Erling Haaland has broken soccer to the point where even folks that that place a lot of value on finishing and the skill of finishing as opposed to getting in the best spots, like can't even really pose the question of, well, oh, is is Erling Holland broken? When we know that he's not, and we know that he's going to come out and score a brace next weekend just like he did last weekend. I love that about Erling Holland. Holland, I appreciate you and your robotic self. You are beautiful. It, it was a real problem, though, for Man City in this game. In the first half, I, I thought Chelsea approached their defensive structure very, very well. They were incredibly well-disciplined, shifting from side to side, they were in this, you know, kind of rough 4-4-2 shape. You had Cole Palmer dropping back on the right side to help Gusto out at the right back spot. You had Moises Caicedo at times dropping into the back line to give them the needed width to match Manchester City's front five. You had Enzo Fernandez shifting around at times to keep track of De Bruyne. You had Conor Gallagher dealing with uh, dealing with Rodri. Like, a lot of this stuff made sense for Chelsea. 
to the point where in the second half, Man City's approach was less pretty combination play between the lines, De Bruyne through balls, you know, first time through balls into Erling Holland behind the back line, and more like, let's find Erling Holland with crosses at the back post. And the crazy thing about Man City and Erling Holland is that for most teams, crossing is like generally a pretty poor idea. For Man City and Erling Holland, who is a cyborg, it's it's oftentimes still a pretty good idea. And Chelsea still didn't concede more than one goal in this game, and it was a last-ditch kind of fluke goal at that. So the chances were there for City, even with Chelsea's strong defensive approach, especially in the first half. But man, when Erling Holland has an off night when it comes to finishing, your chances of getting a point go way, way up. What's going on there, actually, is there's a parent trap sort of situation with Rasmus Hoyland going on. And so the real Erling Haaland is now now playing for Manchester United, which explains why Rasmus Hoyland has seven goals in his last six games. And Rasmus Hoyland is playing for Man City. Just thought I'd clarify that for (laughs) for everyone. That's what's going on. Yep. They share an energy and Haaland has dominated that energy for a good long while. I'm glad (laughs) that it's being more evenly distributed. Uh, Being fully candid, I had a, a toddler... Uh, banging on the door of the office trying to get in. Joe, did you talk much about uh, Chelsea's attacking tactics? Because I was really, really impressed by them, but want to make sure that I'm not just repeating exactly what you just said. No, I didn't, but it would have been hilarious if I did. Taylor, please go Please go on. <laughs> um, I, just, I, I think my biggest takeaway from this game was that Chelsea looked really impressive, and it does feel like maybe Pochettino has got them playing a style that works for them. It seems like he's got the buy-in that we've been waiting for him to get. I'm not saying this was the game where it all clicked because it does feel like we've been on the way to this or maybe this has already been established, but it's the most closely I've watched Chelsea in a while. And I thought a really interesting wrinkle was how often they were able to get in behind City or especially down the flanks behind City because of the way Manchester City were defending and tracking runners. Chelsea routinely would have their center backs play a low driven ball, usually into the feet of uh, Gallagher in the middle or or whomever was showing there centrally. And then he would usually have a defender or a fullback uh, tracking him because it was what four center backs for Man City. Uh, So one of them would, would go with him, but he would then play a one touch ball out wide and then someone would play another ball in behind and either he would make the return run Gallagher or there would be an overlapping fullback. But the way they were able to so effectively move 60 and 70 yards by three touches, basically, really stuck out to me as being a team that is well-drilled, that understands how they want to play, understands how they want to attack, and are capable of doing that under immense pressure because so many times City were really aggressively pressing and trying to make their lives really difficult, and Chelsea sort of backed themselves and stayed calm and had a few mistakes here and there, but no obvious giveaways, a la maybe certain Manchester United opponents. Uh, So I think this game was really telling for me for how strong Chelsea looked and how much Pochettino yeah. seems to have finally gotten some buy-in. For a lot of those reasons, Taylor, I, I found this a really interesting match. I guess largely because it's not often that you see City tested like this in a home match. And obviously there's the big caveat that a lot of the numbers by the end are tilted heavily towards City and on another day City win this pretty comfortably. So as I say, that's a big caveat there. But Chelsea did have a game plan. It worked pretty well, at least for a, a good portion of the match. And Pochettino... He has shown an understanding of how to match up against Guardiola in, in in the past. You would say the managers in the Premier League that have given Guardiola the most trouble, and look, this is aligned with the strongest teams that he has faced, I accept that, but Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool and Mauricio Pochettino at, at, at Spurs. And when he was at Spurs, Pochettino, their, their matches were always hugely entertaining, and we had the also had the chaos game between Chelsea and City back in November. So even at Chelsea, they've, they've matched up relatively well against City this season, despite the fact they've had a generally poor season. 
and I, I enjoyed this one as well. And a lot of the time you get opposition teams who stand off City. They take one of one of two tacks, right? They either stand off City or sometimes you'll see a team go really bullish and try and play them at their own game and, and, and press them. I thought Chelsea were really intelligent. They kind of struck the balance between the two of those things. They were really intelligent with the way that they were allowing City to play into the middle and then forced the turnovers by overwhelming the, the midfield three of... Um, De Bruyne, Rodri, and uh, who starts them, uh, Julian Alvarez. And then from then, they're really, really quick to move forward on the break. And I thought their midfield was fairly impressive, the way that Cole Palmer was helping out um, Gusto against Jeremy Doku and Moises Caicedo doing a good job of, of tracking Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez following De Bruyne when he kind of drifted out to the, the, the wide side. So uh, there was a lot of good things there for Chelsea. They faded in terms of their energy towards the end of the second half, and that's when City really it felt like they were turning the screw. But the fundamentals of what they were trying to do were, were solid, and we haven't really said that very often about Chelsea this season. On that note, Graham, is it fair of me to describe Chelsea as Forrest Gump's box of chocolates? I feel like there's no other team where you never know what you're going to get quite as much as them. I think like maybe Dortmund used to be that. Like, you, like form means nothing essentially. I feel like they could they could turn up and do this kind of thing, and you know all the countering they did and the great stuff they did in this game, and then be shocking in the next game. It's it just it's baffling. Yeah, that's entirely the pattern of their season. One <laughs> time you get a caramel in a game, the other time you get an orange cream. You don't know what you're you're going to get. They've been very good in some games. Even recently, I'm looking through their, their recent performances. The performance uh, away to Aston Villa was very good. The performance away to Crystal Palace had its flaws, but the second half performance was, was very good. That was last week's Monday night game. I remember watching that one. But then at home to Wolves, losing 4-2, losing 4-1 to Liverpool as well. Th- these are pretty dreadful performances. So yeah, it's been a... It's been a transitional season for Chelsea, but that's kind of what we expected. I think the, the real the real judgment on Pochettino in this project will come next season when people will reasonably expect them to climb the, the Premier League table um, meaning, meaningfully into kind of top four contention. But at the moment, it's, it's a little bit difficult to judge. Yeah, and speaking of the Premier League table, Joe, Man City in third at the moment, uh, a full four points behind leaders Liverpool. This one, obviously, uh, a big victory for Liverpool and Arsenal this game. Um, do we feel like... City still have the power to go to distance here. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that they're you know obviously going to win this thing, but they've got a game in hand on both Liverpool and Arsenal ahead of them. So they pick up three points in that game in hand. They're above Arsenal and one point behind Liverpool. There is still a ton left to play for, and City are, are very much the third team in that discussion right now. Can I make a very quick point on something that stood out from this match on the City side of things, a concerning thing? from a City point of view. I, I have been very glowing on Julian Alvarez this season and his ability to adapt in, in that period when, and particularly when Haaland and De Bruyne were, were, were out injured. Um, I have to say at the moment, his role in this City team out of possession now that Haaland and De Bruyne are back is a little bit confusing to me. So it looked like a 4-4-2 in defensive shape. And what that means is Alvarez is the one alongside Rodri. And as I say, he's adaptable. He's a very versatile player, but... He is an attacker, right, Julian Alvarez, and that, those are his instincts, and I'm not convinced he can perform that role. And I thought in this game, Cole Palmer gave him a really, really hard time. So who am I to question Pep Guardiola? Obviously, last season, it was Ilkay Gundogan, who was maybe a little bit better at playing that number 10 role and then going a little bit deeper than Julian Alvarez is. But I, I just kind of wonder if it's one attacker too many, having Julian Alvarez in, 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 in that lineup. And I maybe question whether someone like Matisse Nunes, who is a central midfielder and was brought in last summer, he might be better suited to that role. But of course, it's a it's a, a balanced thing because I wouldn't say Nunes is effective in the, in, in the attack in the final third. But that was one thing that stood out from this game is I'm not convinced that Alvarez can play that kind of double pivot role out of possession. 
All right, why don't we talk about Liverpool's 4-1 win at Brentford. Uh, Mo Salah returning uh, from injury to score in this one, but Liverpool obviously having a fairly costly win here, Taylor, with a, uh, a few other injuries. Uh, Nunes, Jota and Curtis Jones, I believe we're waiting on their status for this one, but, you know, doing well, still top of the Premier League. Yay for them. Obviously, I am not a Liverpool supporter, but it, it does feel like Jurgen Klopp has had to deal with a lot in his time there with the number of injuries he has to deal with at any given moment with the wind, players. the grass. Yeah, well, also that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the wind and grass are, are very heavily against him. We know that sometimes the training gear is too heavy and that can be a problem. Uh, but but it really does feel like they have to navigate so many different issues. Now, maybe that's a way to then criticize the owners for for not spending a significant amount or not spending more than they want to because they have the sustainability model. Uh, but either way, I think it is an enduring credit to Jurgen Klopp, what he has been able to do with that Liverpool team, given how many complications he has had. This was a game where I have to feel like if you're city and you're, and you're kind of grinding your way to a one-to-one draw with Chelsea, having seen Liverpool destroy their opponents, Arsenal destroy their opponents. Maybe you're wondering why you didn't get an easy day as well, but credit to Liverpool for, Forgetting the results, we'll see how they combat those injuries because it does seem like that's going to be yeah. fairly pretty tricky. This was an impressive result for Liverpool, but the best thing about this game was Darwin Nunes' finish for the first goal. So he, good. Which he also, is so good. He also gets some of Erling Holland's like, spirit energy, right? Like Holland Maybe that's shared what's that happened. with Nunes. There we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be the explanation because it's such an incredible finish and it's the sort of finish you maybe don't associate with. Well, actually, having said that, there are so many other finishes in that moment that would have been more straightforward for Darwin Innes to pull off rather than scooping a goalkeeper who's like four yards away from him and dropping it just under the bar when he could have just like moved the angle to the side and finished it into the back of the net. I don't know. Maybe that's actually peak Darwin Nunes, but it's, it was a sensational finish. One of my favorite finishes of the season. Very good indeed. Uh, Joe, any more on Liverpool? Should we move on to Arsenal? How do you Let's feel? Let's move it. Move it forward. Let's move it. Uh, let's move it to Burnley, where Arsenal got a 5-0 victory. Uh, Karasaka with a brace in this one. Uh, Arsenal with 11 goals in their past two games, 21 goals in five straight wins. They be looking pretty good, Graham, at the moment, do they not? Yeah, absolutely. Arsenal seem to be, have turned a corner. They're absolutely flying at the moment. That's five wins in a row in the league. It's the first time in Premier League history that they have scored uh, five goals or more in back-to-back matches. And 5-0, to be honest, in this game was a true reflection of how this match panned out. It was just a complete mismatch. And yes, Burnley aren't up to much. We've established that already on the show this season. But Arsenal's performance was very, very high. Uh, The level was very high, I should say. The intensity, they had to win the ball back high up the pitch and then send four or five players forward time and time again. Burnley, they just they just didn't have any way to cope. And a standout player for me was Leandro Trossard. And we've spoken about him a number of times on this show, certainly since he um, joined Arsenal a year ago. He's been such a great signing for Arsenal. But it, it feels like he's reached an even higher level these last few weeks. And I think he might actually be Arsenal's best number nine at the moment. Gabriel Jesus is out injured, but even accounting for Jesus coming back into this team, I've seen a higher level from Leandro Trossard. He... Is certainly the player who does the best Gabriel Jesus impression with his movement and how he creates space for you know other teammates and stuff like that. But it actually feels like he's a bit sharper in front of goal than Jesus. At least he has been recently. And I think Havertz is a bit more comfortable with Trossard as the number nine. He's able to take up more central positions and he dovetails well with Martinelli and opens up the switch out to, to Saka. So I'm a big fan. I think he's been a great fit for Arsenal and he's become a really, really important figure for them. And I expect he will be over the next few few months of the title race. 
uh, Vatsal Company banned from the touchline for this game. So I think we all learned that Craig Bellamy is his assistant and he was on the sideline, which was a novel to see. Taylor, would Vincent Company be a jobless person right now if his name wasn't Vincent Company, if you know what I mean? I think so. I do. Uh, with the caveat that what they did last season, I think, was so impressive and endeared him so much to Burnley that that gives him a lot of leeway. I also think this is, is sort of what Burnley have done in the past. It's what they did with Sean Dyche when they first got promoted. Uh, I think they're immediately relegated. They stick with him, and they come right back up. And I think they're okay with sort of a very long-term plan if it allows them to be stable, if it allows them to reinvest the Premier League money so that they can become a stronger, better club. So I think the argument would be they like the consistency and style of Vincent Company, even if it's not having the results required. That said, it does feel like we're getting to a point where if they want to stay up, if they want to stay comfortably up, they're going to need to maybe make some changes or get a more practical approach because getting blown out 5-0 is probably not the way to make that happen. Yeah, good luck on that whole staying up thing. Mm, could be tricky. We shall see. Uh, Spurs with a 2-1 defeat at home to Wolves, Graham. Uh, J-Wow Gomez, I should say, with a brace in this one. Uh, the second one was a lovely box-to-box counter. I think he had a touch in each box in, in that yeah. movement, which was lovely. Uh, Tottenham dropping out of the top four with this one. But Wolves, I believe this is their second consecutive win in London with that Chelsea win you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I know I did my, my whole Wolves are good bit a couple of weeks ago when they beat Chelsea, but I just find them really impressive. The amount of work that Lamina and Joao Gomez did in, in central midfield when they could have been outnumbered against the the, the Tottenham trio of, I guess that was Madison, Saar and Basuma. I, I, thought, I found that really eye-catching. And it was a factor in Tottenham not being able to build attacks through the centre, which we obviously know they, they like to do under Postacoglu. And then when, when Wolves won the ball back in that area, they moved into, into transition really, really quickly. And that gets the best out of their attackers, like Huang and Neto and Sarabia, who, who start this game. But Joao Gomez was the pick of the bunch for me. He was everywhere, making tackles, getting close to Madison and Saar in particular, but then also getting forward like he did for the goal, as you mentioned, Ryan. And on their day, Wolves can... Match up for any match up against anyone in in this league, and that this was their day for Spurs. Very quickly on them, obviously a less than ideal result for them. They've dropped out of the top four now. There are some concerning patterns starting to emerge at the top of the list. I would say is slow starts. They've conceded the first goal in four of their last five league games, and their first half performance here was really really ponderous. It was really really slow. I would also say the, the the relatively poor form of James Madison as a as a concern. Spurs waited such a long time for him to come back. He was so important for them earlier in the season, but he just hasn't been able to find his the same form again. He's not as sharp. That he's not finding a way through those low defensive blocks that Spurs are up against fairly regularly. And then another issue in this match was the absence of Pedro Porro, who's out injured, and the fact that Emerson Royale cannot do the same things at, at right-back. He looks really uncomfortable coming inside, as Postcoglu wants his fullbacks to do. His passing was pretty slack, and Wolves were able to expose, expose him on the break as well. So, uh, yeah, Big Ange has some big thinking to do after this one. He does indeed. Aston Villa taking Tottenham's place in the top four ground with a 2-1 win at Fulham. Fulham, Fulham. Ollie Watkins with a brace in this one. Yeah, an important win for for Villa, given how badly they've struggled for consistency in in 2024. Injuries are starting to have a real impact on them. So last week it was uh, Bubakar Kamara, who was ruled out until the end of the season with an ACL injury. That's three ACL ACL injuries that Villa have had this season, along with Tyrone Mings and Emi Bundia. But this was a good response from them. Pau Torres was back. He looked very, very accomplished and certainly uh, helped Villa play out from the back. So they were probably worth the the three points. I'm burying the leads here, though. uh, And that is Jedi Robinson. What are you doing? 
what's going on with the first goal? I don't Careful. know if any of the three of you have Careful, seen this, Graham. but Villa did get a helping hand, quite literally, from Jedi Robinson, who I'm not even sure to describe what he did for the first goal. It's a throw-in, and he throws it backward to Willian on the careful. edge of his box, despite him... He's the one that needs to be careful. careful. It's his mistake, not mine. Uh, he throws it to Willian on the edge of the box, under pressure, then Willian loses, gets dispossessed, and Ollie Watkins just scored. It was such a confusing moment, so confusing, in fact, that watching the highlights the first time round before I went and did my rewatch... I sort of lost track of who the defending team was and who the attacking team was. I don't know if you, any of you have been caught in that moment before where the, the the game phase is just so muddled, you're confused as to which team's going in what direction. It took me a few seconds to work out what had actually happened, but once I had, it wasn't a good moment for Jedi Robinson. I'm not entirely sure why he throws the ball into that area. Weird moment. Graham, forgive me. Uh, it's Monday. I'm a dum-dum. Talk me through that again, because it sounds like he threw it to a teammate who lost the ball, and you're blaming him for throwing it? <laughs> A teammate who is on the edge of his own box uh-huh. under pressure from two Aston Villa players uh-huh. immediately. Watch it back and try and defend Jedi Robinson yeah, in that it's, moment. Graham, it, I'm, watching, I'm watching this currently. This is not something I'd seen before we started recording. Uh, it is, it's not a good idea is, is really what it's not. <laughs> it's not a thing that you would feel good about your player doing. And I, as a result of that, think that Jedi Robinson shouldn't have done that. And that I would call this officially Thanks, a mistake. You're welcome, Graham. Show right. and Graham hate America. Cool. All right, sweet. Just <laughs> want to make sure we got, got that it. down. All right, sweet. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Kenilworth Road, where Man United got a 2-1 win over Luton in a game surely directed by J.J. Abrams. The, uh, the lens flare <laughs> was hot in this one. Oh, Very good. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland with a brace. Uh, this one, I mean, he got on the score sheet pretty early on. Uh, was it in doubt, Taylor? Probably not. Kinda, kinda. It Towards was. the end, it was. It was. <laughs> yeah, I, it was. Out. I, I mean, it was. like seven minutes in, no, I was rubbing my hands together. Like here we yeah. go, and then the lens flare was distracting for a good half an hour. Maybe that also threw off the players. For people who didn't see this, I, I don't know if that's a common thing. I can't claim to have watched a ton of Luton. Uh, apologies to the many, many Luton listeners. Uh, but the way the sun was setting, I think, in the gaps in the stadium, there were moments when you really could not see what was going on, and maybe that's why Manchester United looked rusty at times. But they jump out. Uh, to a lead in, what, like 37 seconds, then it's 2-0 inside of seven minutes, and it feels like, here we go, this is when Manchester United look good, is when they jump out to the lead league, they're able to sort of play the game they want to play, and then the opposition has to try to make something happen, they can get another goal or two, and it did feel at moments like this was going to be 3-1 to one or 3-0, uh, but, the, but then, for large chunks of the second half, I also thought there was a chance that it was going to be 2-2, two to two, and Ross Barkley has... A great, I believe, header that's flicked on that tings off the bar. That felt like mm. it could have been an equalizer. It's kind of a consistent thing with Manchester United that they're not able to just see out games comfortably. They don't really make yeah. it uh, ever comfortable to be a supporter and feel like this game is done and dusted. They have card issues that they have to deal with, with Casemiro coming off at halftime due to a yellow card that he picked up. There's an injury to Luke Shaw, who I think is pretty regularly injured at this point. Um so there are extenuating circumstances, but it's another sort of positive but also frustrating situation if you're a Manchester United supporter. Yeah, the lack of control in those moments, Taylor, when matches are you know turning and things get a little bit tough and things are going wrong, the lack of control from Manchester United in those moments is just remarkable. It's been an issue all the way through the season. And the fact that the, the only player in the entire team who manages to main, maintain composure and stay calm in those moments is 18-year-old Kobe Menu, yeah. who shouldn't be that player, 
But I thought in those in you know tight spaces, we might need to keep the ball and absorb the ball. He's, he seems to be the only one who's capable of doing that. Casemiro, as you say, Taylor, hooked at half time because at the moment he's so lacking in self control mm-hmm. that it seemed like he's going to get sent off in, he, the, in the second half. And he probably was very fortunate. Yeah, he's very fortunate not to be sent off in in the first half. And then you look at some of the numbers. And obviously these are quite simplistic numbers, but Luton had 20 shots in this match. And that's the eighth time that Mayonet have faced 20 shots in a league match this season. For context, Liverpool have faced 20 shots in just two Premier League matches since Jurgen Klopp was appointed their manager in 2015. Um, so I don't know if, if that matters or not, but it's quite stark to hear that, that, that stat. It just felt like it was very easy for Luton to get into the final third. And there were times when Minuted were, were hanging on, but we that's pretty much every, every game for them at the moment. Thankfully, from their perspective, their attack is clicking. I think Garnacho and Hoyland, there's something there, even if Rashford is maybe not holding up his end of the bargain on the left side. But um, yeah, there's still issues with, with this team, even though they are climbing the, the Premier League table. Yeah, uh, the fourth league win in a row. And uh, this apparently is the first time since match week one when Man United have a positive goal difference. Fun. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, I mean, Hoyland, Ho- okay. Ho- 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 what becoming the youngest player to score five and five or something like that? That was mm. that was a pretty exciting moment. I'm glad that he has come good. We had some conversation in the Slack about if he meant that second goal. I feel like I think he, he definitely did. did, right? Yeah, it's so, instinctive. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying he's got a clear vision of how that ball is going to end up in the back of the net, but he definitely. Mm. Do you remember Ronaldinho used to do it with like chest passes? Yeah. He would like turn his shoulder. It's a similar sort of sort of vibe. He's just he's just diverting it towards the goal, but it's def- definitely a deliberate diversion, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would agree. So people who didn't see that, it's Garnacho hits a volley, sort of miss hits it, shins it a little bit, and Hoyland, uh, get, while still onside, is able to kind of chest it and redirect it to the far side netting. Uh, I enjoyed both of his goals. They were equally. Fortunate, I would say, because the first one is just a, a horrific back pass that he's able to convert. So there are positives in there. It does still feel like this is a team that needs one more transfer window uh, and and specifically needs some outgoing players, some departures to, I think, maybe have the full buy-in of the squad. So positive signs, but still questioning signs at the same time. Yeah, Hoyland in terrific form, of course. Maybe if he scores next weekend, my computer will stop correcting his name to Holland, which is becoming a big issue, frankly, for my notes. Uh, Brighton with a 5-0 win at Sheffield United. That's the second 5-0 home defeat in a row for Sheffield United. Also, yeah. the second time they've conceded five goals to Brighton this year. That was in January, they had a 5-2 <laughs> defeat to Brighton in the FA Cup as well. Yikes for Sheffield United. Uh, also, yikes for Calvin Phillips. A uh, 2-0 defeat for West Ham and Nottingham Forest. That's his second game for them. Uh, two yellow cards in this one. I believe he gave away at least one goal last weekend as well. Oh dear Not me. ideal. Not the breast of starts in East London indeed, Graham. Let's take a quick break, shall we? When we come back, we're going to go to the Liga. We're going to go to Serie A. Maybe a bit of PSG chat. We'll be back. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. 
They are made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back to Total Soccer Show's Weekend Review. Apparently, just before the break, I said it wasn't the breast of starts for Calvin Phillips. I promise that wasn't a Freudian slip on his weight gain or anything like that, Graham. That's uh, just uh, me not being able to say. It was the blurst of times. It was the the blurst of times. It was the blurst of times. Indeedy doody. Thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters, etc. And so on. Let's go to La Liga, where Real Madrid uh, dropped points in their title race. Uh, Local rivals Real Vallecano, a 1-1 draw there. Danny Carvajal with his traditional sending off here. Two yellows in two minutes here. Uh, What do we make of this one, Graham? He got all Uh, ball. He got all ball. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It felt like that red card had been in the post for Danny Carvajal for for a while. He'd been Mm. targeting that for... For, for a number of games, a number of weeks. Uh, Rayo Vallecano in this game were able to do what so many top quality teams have failed to do against Real Madrid this season. They were generally able to stop Vinicius and Rodrigo and Brian Diaz and, and, and all the rest. Um, it was a bit of a weird match. So Rayo started by pressing really, really aggressively and nearly scored or, or had an opportunity to score in, in like the first couple of minutes. But then in the very same move, Real Madrid scored the opener, their goal, um, by kind of hitting on the counter. So that dropped Rayo back a bit. And actually, the mid-block, I thought, worked well for them because it allowed them to prevent Vinicius and Brahim from receiving the ball in dangerous areas. And Real Madrid were, frankly, never able to find a, a solution to that. 
I also don't think Carlo Ancelotti will, will care much because he rotated his team a lot for this one. They obviously have a commanding lead at, at the top of La Liga. I think he'll consider this collateral damage in what has been an excellent run of results these past few months. So the fact that he was able to rest a good number of key players, um, in a weird way, there was still a benefit from Real, for Real Madrid from, from this match, despite the fact they dropped points in the end. Is it, Graham, a commanding lead? <clears throat> Excuse me, they're six points ahead of Girona, who have a game in hand. They're playing Athletic Club uh, today on Monday as we record. So if they win that one, Girona, then it's a one-game swing. It is a one-game swing, but I I don't know. I think my view of Girona has been swung, has been changed a little bit since they got absolutely smashed at, at the Bernabeu. Of course, they don't have any other games, any more games against Real Madrid. They've had their two matches. They've lost two matches against Real Madrid, but... Uh, the way that Real Madrid have been playing this season, the way that they have been able to adapt, the way that Car- Carlo Ancelotti has, has absorbed so many injuries to key players, I, I just have complete faith that even if they were able, if they were to get in a, into a bit of a slog, they will find the solutions to win that title. Uh, Barcelona with a 2-1 win at Celta. Robert Lewandowski with a pretty decent rocket cancelled out by Iago yeah. Aspas. He's still going. He's still a thing. Good to know. Uh, and then uh, a 97th minute retaken penalty for the win for Lewandowski. Very nice. Yeah, not not a great performance by Barcelona. This, uh, lots of possession, but very little creativity. And then Celta Vigo found it very easy to get at them with a couple of passes. Of course, that has been a trend for Barcelona in a lot of games they've played this season. The first Lewandowski goal was classic Lewandowski. So that, that was a bright spot for Barcelona. The way that he shifts it from one foot onto the other to create the angle and then the strike across the goalkeeper into the the far corner. It was the sort of thing that Lewandowski did for years and years and years and even last season for Barcelona. That's a a very classic Lewandowski goal. And of course, he ends up getting the winner from the spot, as you mentioned, Ryan, deep into stoppage time. But he does miss the first attempt, which was retaken due to Guaita coming off his line. I know you could argue that he makes the save because he comes off his line, line, but even that wasn't terribly emphatic um the result itself is a decent one for barcelona historically balados is a as a difficult place for them to go and and celta because they are good in the break it's a decent matchup for them usually they have a good record against barcelona Igo aspas has scored 11 goals against barcelona throughout his career so that tells you something about how well they do against barcelona but i thought this performance was it was pretty ragged maybe they were deserved winners in the end but I, I just have no idea what to expect from Barcelona at the moment and no idea what to expect from that game against Napoli in the Champions League this week well and that's kind of the frustrating thing with Barcelona right now is that it, it sort of feels like barring a collapse out of the Champions League spots none of this really matters for them anymore they're not actually in title contention they're not going to win the Champions League Xavi's not going to be back next year like they're kind of just treading water until you get to the start of next season the one thing there, there are a couple of smaller things that, that do matter. The one main thing that I think, you know, is still sort of on the table for Barcelona is figuring out, you know, what to do with their big January signing. You know, where Victor Roque is actually going to play for this team and how he's going to impact them moving forward. This was his first La Liga start for them since joining from Brazil. And we saw the 18-year-old kind of do a Julian Alvarez thing, Graham. You talked some about his role earlier. Less on the defensive side, where he was higher up in this game. But basically, Barcelona just did the Man City thing of, we want to play both of our, our central attacking, you know, kind of line leaders, and we're just going to put one in the half space in possession, and we're going to hope that that actually works out for us as we build and, and try to be incisive in the final third. And this was sort of their first real stab at doing that from the start of a game, and I don't think it worked great, but I also wouldn't have expected all this stuff to click from the first time that you have Lewandowski and, and Victor Roque starting together. So it's early days, but I thought that maybe that Man City-inspired move from them was interesting and is something to watch as we sort of you know see Barcelona just tread their way through the rest of this year. 
Uh, let's head over to Serie A, where Juventus gave a nice helping hand to Inter in the Serie A title race with a 2-2 draw at Verona. Uh, yeah, kind of is. Juve went behind twice here. Three games now without a win for Juve. Um, yeah, Inter are probably going to do it, Graham. Yeah, yeah, I think the title race is over in Italy. I think we already knew that Inter would win the Scudetto, but the gap is now, what is it, nine points. Inter have a game in hand as well. And Inter aren't slowing down as well. That's the other thing. They are accelerating. They seem to be getting stronger. And Juventus have lost the defensive resolution that made them um, kind of semi-contenders for the first half of the season. Verona in this match were able to get in between the lines so easily. They created chances. The first goal by uh, Fulan Roncho. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I almost certainly haven't. But the, his first goal is the best goal of the weekend. Go and find it if you if you haven't seen it. It's an absolute laser. He's kind of running backwards. He turns, hits it on the full volley, a cross goal into the top corner. It's, it's a belter. And Verona in this game, they just exposed how fragile Juventus are right now. And they have some planning to do ahead of next season. They have a decision to make. We say this every single year, but they have a decision to make on Max Allegri. They have a decision to make it on some key players and whether to rebuild. And yeah, it's, it feels like a big pivotal summer coming up for Juventus. It does. Uh, last week, uh, Juve fans hide out space in Times Square on one of the screens to have an Allegri out hashtag on there. I don't know if you guys caught that, but uh, they're taking it seriously. Hit them where it hurts space. in Times yep. Square. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's right. Who, it's all who, Olive Garden who, adjacent, who that, Joe. So, you know, oh, right. It's, uh, it's that, that'll get the who Italians. Was that, who was <laughs> that directed at? The Naked Cowboy? Does the Naked Cowboy own Juventus or something? Oh. Yeah. But it's, sincerely, why why do that? <laughs> what does that accomplish? Other than, I think um, I guess so when we're TRL... There's when that. TRL's on with Carson Daly, it would be in the background. Is that still a thing? Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. You wow. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Joe, that's the thing that used to happen. Anyway, uh, Inter with a 4-2 win over Salernitana on Friday. This would have been the Inzaghi derby, Pippo versus Simone, in terms of the managers. But Pippo relieved of his duties last week, so we did not get that brotherly derby. Uh, we did have the Berlusconi derby, though, mm. Graham. We had uh, Monza with a 4-2 win over Milan. Christian Pulisic done a good goal, oh. but it didn't count because two yeah. further goals came whoa, from him. Whoa, whoa, it, it counted. It counted. It just what did didn't, it count for? It just what did it count for, Joe? It counted for him getting another goal in the statue, Sure, Ryan. it did do that. It did do that. For yeah. making Olivier did, Giroud say to him, good work, kid. I enjoy I enjoy their their bromance, and I enjoy I would Olivier do, Giroud being like, all right, okay, well done, sir. Well done, sir. That was a fun moment. Less so I the rest of anything. Go ahead. Sorry, I would Greg. do anything for that validation from Olivier <laughs> right? Giroud. Yeah. Or anyone. I understand that. Um, this was a sensational match. Um, it was actually a bit of a slow burn because neither team really created a lot for the first, for much of the first half. But it ended up going. Uh, I'm coming into the good bit. All right. The uh, Monza end up going into halftime 2 0 up after two goals late on in the stoppage time. In stoppage time, the response from AC Milan is really, really strong. So Liao, Giroud, and Pulisic all come on in the second half, and Giroud and Pulisic made a real, real impact. The little flick header from Pulisic for the Giroud goal to make it two one. I thought was actually really clever because I think he knows exactly what he's doing in that moment. He knows he can't get a header on goal. He realizes that Giroud is behind him, but he has to kind of lift it over a defender. Um, maybe I'm giving him a little bit too much, too much credit, but I think he had a clear vision of how that goal would be scored. And then the equaliser is a stunner of a finish into the top corner. Um, just a shame for Pulisic that this moment was that was the moment where uh, everything fell apart from Milan and, and Monza scored a stunner of their own through Warren Bondo to make it 3-2. And then Lorenzo Colombo, what a name, what a name. Yeah. He's on loan from AC Milan, <laughs> scored another on the break to, to make it 4-2. So it was sort of similar to the Bayern Munich match in that this became a wild back and forth game in, in, in the second half. But yeah, unfortunately for Pulisic, his goal, uh, 
I'll word it better than you, or more concisely than you, Ryan. It did not count for any points at the end of the day. Yeah, much more accurate. Thank you very much, Graham. It was, it was for US fans, I'll speak for them, to say it was a nice, like, I'm Keith Hernandez moment. Joe, there's another reference you won't get. But just that he sort of, I think it comes after he, he misses a shot or has a shot blocked and it goes out and it feels like the play is done and then he gets the ball back and thinks, I could pass. But instead, I could take people on, create my own space, and then rip a shot to the side netting. It was just a nice moment of him making something happen for a club with the stature and profile of, of AC Milan. It was pretty cool to see, and it did make me very happy. Uh, as I said, I think Milan fans will be less happy about the overall performance. I know uh, Stefano Pioli was talking after the game. He was asked about his lineup choices because, as Graham mentioned, that's three p- pretty good players to bring on at halftime and then Giroud coming on later on in the second half. Uh, I think he mentioned Pulisic was still recovering or feeling a little bit tired. Rafael Leao was feeling a little bit tired or maybe slightly injured. Um, So I think there's a question about the lineup and why they didn't look stronger from the jump. But at the same time, when you have Malik Tiao conceding nine different fouls in one play, that was an amazing moment where he would have given away a free kick and probably a yellow card. But referee gives advantage. Play continues into the box where Tiao gets up. Runs back and concedes a penalty and gets himself a card as well, I believe. That that was fascinating. Then he gets megged uh, in the build-up to the to the second goal for Monza. It was not a very good game for him. And Stefano Pioli talked a lot about individual mistakes costing Milan uh, over the course of this game. And then Luka Jovic getting a red card for retaliating and, and throwing a little slap, I think, is also part of what he was talking about with that frustration in this game. I do like the late Serie A kickoff on a Sunday, though, because you get through your Sunday and you think, oh, all the soccer's done. Wait, no, we're going through the afternoon on the East Coast here with uh, some more goodness. This one finished nearly 11 p.m. local time uh, in northern Italy. So good stuff. Well done. Syria and your scheduling and staggering games throughout the day. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, other business section. Let's go to PSG, who had a 2-1 win at Nantes. Uh, Kylian Mbappe coming off the bench uh, to score in this one, Graham. Kylian Mbappe, who for the, let's say, fourth or fifth time has told us he's not going to play for PSG anymore. Is that right? I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. I'm just ignoring all of the Mbappe <laughs> chat until he's holding a Real Madrid shirt. Honestly, I am genuinely ignoring it all. Oh, right. Okay. I hope the question didn't offend you or anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it seems like it did a little bit. Strange response. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get you back on side, Graham. Talk about Scotland for a bit, why don't you? Yeah, I know you've been waiting your your entire life, Ryan, for an update on the Scottish Premiership title mm-hmm, race, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. this weekend was a big turning point. So Celtic dropped points at home to Kilmarnock, and it wasn't a smash and grab either. Kelly gave them real, real problems, and Celtic fans are really unhappy at the club essentially hoarding transfer funds, and you can tell that Brendan Rodgers isn't happy either. His second coming isn't going well at all at Celtic. It doesn't feel like he's engaged at all. Frankly, it doesn't really seem like he cares. He's sort of phoning it in. A little bit. Rangers, however, they are gaining momentum. They beat St. Johnson on Sunday, and the significance of that is that they are top of the table for the first time this season, and I think most people would view them as the favourites to, to win the title now. So that is a, a pretty dramatic turnaround from the start of the season where Rangers, who were under Michael Beale, who, by the way, today has been sacked by Sunderland. He's been sacked by two teams in the one season. Great manager, Michael Beale. Uh, Rangers were dreadful at the start of the season. It felt like Celtic were a long way ahead of them, and they've slowly reeled them in, and Celtic have their troubles, and yeah, now it feels like it's Rangers' title to lose. All right. And also, Graham, uh, let's turn our attention to the Women's Super League. Did I see that Arsenal sold out the Emirates for their game against Man United this weekend? 
They did indeed. So it was a record-breaking weekend in the Women's Super League um, because Arsenal set a new attendance record of over 60,000 fans at the Emirates for their game against Manchester United. Uh, Arsenal struggled a bit in 2024 and uh, Jonas Eideval, who is their manager, he's come under a bit of pressure. Um, but this was a good performance and they won 3-1. And then on Friday night, there was a huge away, away win at Chelsea for Manchester City, who are now joint on points with Chelsea at the top of the table. Could he just Shaw with the winner for, for City in that one? Of course, um, Emma Hay is leaving Chelsea at the end of the season for the USWNT. So there is pressure for her to sign off in, in style, but it is turning into a real competition with City and Arsenal aren't too far behind either. So... The title race in the WSL is looking like a pretty exciting one. Indeed. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much, Graham. Weekend, you have been reviewed. Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for your contributions, as always, my good man. Uh, you as well, my friend. I'm happy to report that uh, unlike the relationship between Thomas Tuchel and Joshua Kimmich, our relationship is not broken, uh, Ryan Bailey. No one is reporting on that one. So uh, I'm happy that we still have that, that solid relationship in place, that salmon peach shirt relationship that we've come to know and love. Indeed, we'll always have shirt colours. Joe Lowry, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Ryan. And Graham, once again, thank you very much, my good man. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Listener, thank you the mostest. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.